The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele, and uh, the books are finally in. After a long delay caused by the problems with the American shipping industry, which I didn't even know was going on until it actually uh, touched our work here with this. But after this long delay, the books, Born on 9-11, you can see it over my shoulder, have finally come in. So we're spending this week uh, promoting it, talking about it. And uh, because we really want to get this book out there uh, and have people be able to give their feedback as well. So we're going to be talking about that today. We may actually talk about it next week, too. We're we're trying to get family members, 9-11 family members on the program uh, to share their their thoughts about it. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be joined by one of our most uh, vocal supporters out there who has gotten the book uh, he's read it. He wanted to come on and share his thoughts about it. And just going to be a casual discussion today uh, talking about the graphic novel. So let me bring him in. And uh, it is Adam Syed. He's a longtime 9-11 Truth activist. He's also a very talented musician. He's a music teacher. I'll let him talk a little bit more about himself in just a moment. But he's been out there in the movement for a very long time. A lot of people know him out there, including myself. Consider him a friend. And uh, he's read the book, and uh, he'll be sharing his thoughts about it today. Adam, welcome back to 9-11 Freefall. Thanks for having me, Andy. So here we go. Uh, I'm in the weird position right now that it's my book. I'm used to promoting things that the collective of AE has put together, but I'm the one who uh, made this. So basically, I guess just start off by sharing your thoughts uh, after you read it. I guess you, you just finished reading it in the last day yeah. or so. Yeah, well, um, as you mentioned, my talents are musical. Um, I have a pretty decent amount of talent in that department, but art class was always a struggle for me in grade school. Uh, it was it was the uh, extracurricular that I probably looked forward to going to the least. And um, I've got to tell you, as somebody who can barely draw a stick figure, uh, I was blown away by your by your work. This this is a work of art. I can I can feel your blood and sweat and tears and dedication to the cause in in every page of this. So bravo. <laughs> well thank you. Thank you. I, I think it's very powerful. Um, and I think it does an excellent job of um, really boiling down to the bone. Um, you know, without without spoiling the plot. Uh, I'll just mention that there is one scene in in it that involves a debate uh, of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence. And, you know, in today's world, and especially, you know, with modern attention spans, people don't have time to, you know, watch um, two-hour documentaries or read 400-page books. 
and just those just those few pages of graphic art you really boil it down to um, why you know what makes the controlled demolition argument so strong and how weak the defense is on the other side so you know I, I seem to remember that um, the the 911 Commission report published their own comic book version uh, and I, I can't remember if NIST also uh, did a comic book version of their report, but I know for sure that the 9-11 commission uh, did a comic book version of their report. And I can remember one time on MSNBC, Rachel Maddow very wholeheartedly promoting that comic book version of it. Uh, and I think that your graphic novel is, is the perfect answer to that. I remember that comic book version. I was actually out at Barnes and Noble's or one of those stores uh, with my my uh, significant other at the time, and uh, <clears throat> the I remember seeing that, and I hadn't heard about it any announcements, but I was first waking up to nine eleven truth, and I'm like, oh my god, I have to have this, and I have it somewhere in the closet in one of the boxes. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean people in the mainstream understand how valuable things like this are, and that's why they try so hard to get their narratives out in different mediums. That's why we got to do the exact same thing. Uh, you see it in movies. Now, I, I don't have the uh, resources to make a movie, but this is something that I could do uh, for the movement and for AE. All the profits are going to go to AE, and I just get the satisfaction of knowing that I got to write a comic book, so that's pretty cool on my end. But uh, you know, it was something that uh, we started off with, and I thought it was just going to be a few chapters, you know, something that would be kind of small to go out there. And then as I was writing the story, the script for it, it just got bigger and bigger. And it took a little bit of time to get it done because I hadn't uh, worked on anything like this uh, since college. But uh, it was well worth it. And who knows, maybe I'll do some other things along the way. Um, I, you know, I want to talk about some of the things. Again, we don't want to give away any spoilers. We want people to read the book and and uh, get all the surprises and, and stuff on its, uh, on its own. Uh, but something I wanted to talk about uh, is just some of the themes that I tried to hit on in the story, which was, uh, well, the first one I have here is putting aside political agendas. 9-11 is a unifying issue. I mean, I have seen so much out there, not just in 9-11 truth, but out in the overall world, everybody trying to find some reason to differentiate themselves from everybody else. Now, everybody is an individual person, and we should uh, cherish in ourselves what we find unique and special, but we see people put in politics and, you know, all of these issues that mainly come from the television set uh, between them and their fellow man out there to the point where they can't even be in the same room with them or have a, a decent conversation. And it's been a problem because, you know, let's say, just a hypothetical scenario, let's say 8911 Truth goes to Congress, let's say we get support from a Republican. You know, people are going to get very upset on one side. Oh, you can't go to that person because he supported this legislation or that legislation. Or if we go to a Democrat, vice versa. Same thing. People get very upset when um, when you challenge their, you know, their views on these other things. But it's not about challenging those views because we have nothing to do with any of that. We are uh, a unifying issue. We are bipartisan, apolitical. It's all about science. Uh, so I tried to touch on some of those themes and uh, get that message out in this story. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, over the course of the years, um, I've noticed that uh, certainly 
certainly when it comes to our elected officials, there doesn't seem to be much difference um, between Democrats and Republicans on this issue. Now, you're right. The 9-11 truth movement is, I mean, it encompasses everybody on the political spectrum from, from libertarians to greens and everybody in between. And uh, I personally, um, I am not a partisan Democrat. I do associate, uh, I, I'm sympathetic on issues, particularly economic issues, to a number of uh, more what you could call progressive or leftist policies. And uh, as somebody who um, on those issues, uh, I consider myself a quite strong supporter um, of Bernie Sanders. And I'm frankly uh, still very salty about the 2020 primary and the way the DNC moved mountains in order to kneecap his momentum. But uh, on the 9-11 issue, uh, he was one of the ones that was questioned on C-SPAN on this issue, and he he pretty much gave more or less the exact, almost verbatim, answer that uh, the Democratic debater in in your book did. You know, we have real issues of people dying of hunger and not having transportation and blah blah blah, and those are the real issues we we need to be focusing on. And this is a distraction. Uh, I do also. <laughs> I do think it's extremely, you know, it's. I think it maybe says something about the state of things, perhaps even about the state of the human condition. That of all of the, of all of the members in Congress, I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is the only person that has raised any questions about 9/11. Uh, although she did it, I think she raised it with the missile at the Pentagon, which I don't believe in. Um, but yeah, I I have noticed that. Um, you know, sometimes you might not always expect the people who you think might support this issue. They are oftentimes the ones that that don't. And then you get surprised. People that you think don't sometimes end up doing. Um, and I have I wrote I have some notes surrounding me here, too. I've got my phone on a music stand. I've actually got two music stands here and I've got a couple of pieces of paper on either side of the phone here because I I did make some notes and uh, come up with some questions. And what you're saying, I think ties, and what I think, um, what you're just saying ties into some of the stuff that I've written down here. Um, so I'll kind of go ahead and start reading off of that a little bit, and then I can ask you a few things to, you know, to tie in, okay? Um, so I can really, I can really think of only three times, and maybe you can enlighten me if I forgot, if I've missed any, I can think of only three times that any local or national um, television mainstream media has given our cause any favorable attention. Uh, the first was in 2006 at the fifth anniversary when Alex Jones, um, while he was still sticking to 9-11 and hadn't jumped the shark yet, and while I considered myself a supporter of him, but Alex Jones was on Showbiz Tonight with AJ Hammer on CNN. And that was regarding uh, Charlie Sheen coming out in favor of our cause. Um, the AJ asked him, he treated him really fairly and allowed Alex to speak and get a lot of important issues out there, uh, particularly about the family members not being satisfied with the 9-11 commission and about bombs and explosions going off in the buildings. I thought that was, a, that was one. The second was a, a local example. It was... Um, Sometime around 08, 09, 10, somewhere around there, it was Good Morning Fresno had Richard Gage on, and that was very fair treatment. 
And then the third was on Fox News with Geraldo, where he, on his show, he brought on um, Bob McElvain and Tony Zambodi. And he said, and he was one of those who said, eh, originally when it was just those rowdy, obnoxious street truthers, I dismissed them, but it's impossible to dismiss these family members and architects and engineers like that. So those are the only three. We, 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 we were like so incredibly close at the 20th anniversary with Spike Lee. And we all know that story, which I don't really want to go into detail with, but basically the mainstream media dogpiled an enormous amount of pressure on him to pull the 30 minute segment dedicated to AE. He caved. Um, and, 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 uh, that was unfortunate, but, um, when, let me just grab my piece of paper here. What is your guess as to how long it's going to be before we have an extremely major breakthrough, whether it be Spike Lee uh, releasing the cut segment or a mainstream Hollywood flick akin to Oliver Stone's JFK? When do you think that that might happen? Well, regarding Spike Lee, I've never met the guy, so I, you know, I can't speak for what he will end up doing. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, there's very hopeful uh, chatter out there, signs or whatever. Um, you know, if anybody out there wants to criticize him for it, I don't think that's the right route to go. You understand these people are under a lot of pressure out there yeah. and, uh, you know, have a lot riding on them. So <clears throat> I think uh, we need to be supportive of him. And I think that I agree already done a lot to um, raise awareness of this just by kind of dancing near the border of it. Uh, so let's wait and see what happens with that. Um, regarding us, you know, it's hard to tell. I mean, we've been doing this a long time. It's been 20 years since the event. And where I look for victories are in maybe sometimes small things. You know, I've said it before. There's a three-dimensional aspect to our activism. You know, you uh, <clears throat> wake somebody up to this. Let's say it's a person that works at a congressman's office or at a news office, and it might manifest in other ways. There might be some other issue that the 9-11 truth community would not be behind uh, if it if it got out and onto the surface and maybe they squelch it. You know, so a lot of times you don't see the results of what you are doing. So I think we have a lot of positive impact in that. I think that 9-11 truth uh, and, uh, you know, stuff like loose change. Uh, Dylan Avery and all that great work has influenced a lot of minds and really made people very distrustful of official narratives, which is absolutely necessary. They should have been from day one. And so, you know, as as far as how long we'll take to get an official acknowledgement, I think we will someday. I really do believe that's going to happen. How soon it is, you know, whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm I have gray hair when it happens, you know, we'll wait and see. But let's see what happens in America too. Um, I think a lot of people are waking up because they're unhappy with various things out there. And, you know, and it might be different things for different people, but they're unhappy with, uh, with various things and they're starting to become more open to this issue. I've seen it within my own family. People who were laughing at me when I first started down this path uh, now are like, yeah, I think you, I think you might be right there. So, and then it might yeah. culminate into something else, you know? So I just say, keep yeah. on doing what you're doing. And I, I do believe that when you try to do your best, uh, you know, the wind blows just the right way in your favor. Yeah. So, yeah. And when you talk about those small victories, like my dad back in 2005, when I first tried to show him Dave Von Kleist's 9-11 in plain sight, 
Back then, he was adamantly opposed to this. He was comparing it to Holocaust denial. And by 2012, when um, I, I made him um, watch experts speak out, and I wasn't with him. I was, I was like, far away. Uh, I think I might have already... I, either I was across the country or I was not, I was not with him when I, when he watched it, but he, uh, and it had, to, I remember it had to do with the fact that Cynthia McKinney had endorsed it and she was the third party candidate that uh, I voted for in 2008. Um, and I said, have a look at this video. I sent it to him on email. Have a look at this video. Uh, watch the whole thing uh, and then tell me if you think that Cynthia McKinney is a crackpot for endorsing this. And he said he wrote back a day later and said, I did watch it. I do not think Cynthia McKinney is a crackpot. And in short, he went from being adamantly opposed to the message to basically kind of taking the attitude of Bob McElvain's wife, which is, hey, this is too big for us. Uh what's done is done. We really can't do much about it. So why don't you, uh, you've, you've spent enough energy on this now. Why don't you go back to building your musical career? But even that's a small victory. If I could get him from comparing it to Holocaust denial to, to this. Um, and, um, so when you talk about small victories, um, you know, Mark, there's that famous quote by Mark Twain about how a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is just getting its shoes on. Mm-hmm. Um, back in uh, back in uh, 2006, when it was mainly just loose change that was the face of the movement prior to AE or even prior to Stephen Jones releasing his original Thermite paper, um, back then, when it was just amateur filmmakers, um, the mainstream media screamed from the mountaintops that no structural engineers supported our claims. Um, I guess my next question for you is, why do you think it is, now that we have over 3,500 architects and engineers on the record, I think including at least 60 structural engineers who have gone on the record with statements. Why do you think it is that the media didn't then follow up and say, hmm, architects and engineers are coming on board. Maybe those truthers are onto something after all. I mean, other than the Geraldo. Why, why, is, why is there such deafening silence, not just from the really big newspapers, but from most small ones as well? Uh, surely the CIA cannot have infiltrated every single one of them. Um, do you do you think that it's simply just that the, the willful cognitive dissonance and denial is that strong even more than two decades after? I think most structures in our society are made up of yes men. That's what I've seen out in industry. And, uh, you know, before I worked at AE 911 Truth, I had a lot of jobs before then because I just moved around to different places. And, you know, and that's the thing. I don't... I'm probably the least conspiratorial person uh, out in the movement when it comes to this kind of stuff, because I always try to look for the logical human reasons for why things happen. Um, People will say, like, why didn't the insurance companies challenge it the minute, you know, when the towers came down and they were going to, you know, pay all this uh, money out in the lawsuits to Larry Silverstein? Well, you know, I think about it. I, I worked for an insurance company. 
it was just doing customer service. But the, yeah, the first day, one of the things they announced was, this was to the trainees, uh, that on 9-11, people died they, uh, in the towers. Uh, they had life insurance policies with this company. And, and even though the policies didn't cover acts of terror, they paid it because it was the right thing to do. And I'm sitting here a little bit cynically thinking, well, you paid it because it would have been terrible PR for you if you uh, if you didn't, if you challenged that. I mean, the news networks would have eaten you right up. Your CEO would have been fired. And uh, and that, that's just the way it is. So, you know, to go out and challenge the official narrative of September 11th, I think from a PR standpoint, it'd be cheaper just to go out and, and pay the settlements than, uh, and work it out with the courts somehow. Uh, and you got to think, you know, a CEO doesn't want to be the person that's in charge of that decision of, of making that kind of challenge. And especially if they're only they're only citing things that are coming from the Internet at that time. Um, you know, CEOs are worried about their jobs. There's people that want to uh, take them from them. <clears throat> so there's very human elements that go into all of these decisions. So when you talk about the media, I mean, uh, right now, the media itself is mainly is, is mainly made up of people. And I'm talking about the people on television right now. It's made up of people that are really skilled at presenting the news uh, in a dramatic way and the way that they want people to hear it. So it's more like they're actors than actual journalists. They spend more time on their hair probably than checking their facts. And so that kind of person in that job is really not going to shape, you know, shape the system too much. If they're told to stay away from something, they're going to stay away from something. Um, yeah. And so it's a very difficult thing to overcome. So, no, I don't think it's all, you know, Operation Mockingbird stuff, although that does go on and I, I, I sure. probably elements of it. But uh, but I think that people are at their basic core are human. They think that they're not going to be able to do much about it anyway. And why should they make the sacrifice and be swallowed by the machine, lose their career, lose their money when it's not going to do anything? Yeah. That's people's attitudes. And that's what we have to fight against. Yeah, I think that wanting to have a career forces most people to compromise. Uh, I think, fortunately, I'm in a field where um, I don't really have to worry about that too much. Um, you know, I don't know how much your audi this audience is into classical music, and particularly 20th century classical music. We often tend to think of classical music as being 300 years ago, um, Bach and Mozart and all that. But in 20th century Soviet Union, there was a famous one of one of arguably easily the top five composers of the 20th century, Dmitry Shostakovich. He was a Soviet era composer under under Stalin, and a lot of his music, uh, some of which he waited until after Stalin died to publish, some of his darker music um, expresses the musically. The, the terror of living under the Stalin regime. Um, and so my field is one where, generally speaking, um, generally speaking, we are allowed to express ourselves politically and be politically controversial. Uh, a few exceptions. I've, I have seen a few exceptions. Um, there was a flute player in the Baltimore Symphony who got fired for spreading uh, conspiracy theories about COVID. And um, there's a Russian conductor, um, Zherzhev. I'm trying to think of his last, his first name, but his, his last name is Zherzhev, Zherzhev. 
and he is a friend of Vladimir Putin, and he has not condemned the invasion, and he has basically lost all of his gigs in the West. But those are extreme exceptions. For the most part, in my field, you're pretty much free to, you know, to be politically controversial. Um, so well, you know, it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9/11. Now, if a singer or an actor wants to be political, I think they have every right to be. I don't think it should yeah. influence you know what roles they get because like they're playing a character. You know, if you see. Oh, I don't know a good example, but you see some guy playing a superhero or something like that. I mean, it's not the guy that you're watching. You're watching the character that they're playing in that movie. If you can't make that separation in your mind, then you shouldn't be watching TV at all because uh, (laughs) you have to to disassociate reality from fiction. But but like in Fahrenheit 9-11, they have a segment where Michael Moore, well, he he was his movie, but somebody is interviewing Britney Spears. And, yes. and they ask her about the Iraq war and she gives some kind of. Honestly, answer. I think we should distrust our president in every decision that he makes. And we should, we should support that. Yeah, I remember it. I remember it word for word because I watched the movie quite a few times. She was like, honestly, I think we should just trust our president in every decision that he makes. And we should support that. Yeah. My thing, though, is like, why were they asking her about that? Like, she's there, obviously, to promote a song or whatever the heck she was doing. Like, if she didn't bring it up, why are they even asking her about the Iraq war? Same thing right. happened with Robert Downey Jr. during a, a, an interview to uh, promote uh, one of the superhero movies. And they started asking about some comment he made about being a libertarian or I don't remember what it was, but it was politics. And he's like, why are you asking me about this? I'm here to plug a movie here. So it's almost like they they have they set whatever the agenda is and then they want to drag you out and uh, have you answer for this. Like give whatever the politically correct term uh, or not term, but, uh, you know, narrative is at that moment in order for you to be able to do your trade, do your talents uh, for, for the world and make money off of that. And it just, it sort of makes me sick. Look, if somebody wants to go out and stick themselves into the fray, that's one thing. But if somebody's just, you know, an actor or a musician and you're asking them about these political issues that they have nothing to do with, don't put them on the spot like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't remember. I mean, the thing about, uh, as it was presented in that movie, um, it showed some scenes of carnage from the Iraq uh, war and then flipped directly to Brittany's quote. Yeah. And you didn't actually hear the question or, or we don't even really know who's asking it. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's like, why are they doing that? Um, and actually it's funny when you mentioned Fahrenheit nine 11, and I'm talking about how generally musicians are pretty free to express themselves. I do remember that, the Dixie Chicks basically lost uh, a lot of their career because they opposed the Iraq war at that time. And I remember that Linda Ronstadt was booed off the stage for specifically praising Fahrenheit 9-11. And not only was she booed off the stage, but the, uh, they, uh, they told her to get the, the people organizing the event told her to get out of there immediately and told her to get, yeah, they told her, I, I think they told her to pack up, her things from the hotel room and get out of there immediately. So, I mean, in the first term of Bush, there was a lot of blind nationalistic hyperpatriotism going on, hypernationalism going on. Um, you know, I was I was glad in the second term of Bush 
when the public started turning against him and the war. Um, just looking at looking at the rest of some of my notes here. Um, you were talking about um, you were talking about uh, the partisanship and how that sometimes tends to to skew things. Uh, and what was it we were just talking about earlier? How on you know some of the things that Michael Moore was saying in two thousand and four in Fahrenheit nine eleven, um, and that was back when virtually everybody who identified as a Republican thought of. They, they practically thought Michael Moore should be hung for treason um, for speaking against the Bush administration. Um, I'm sure that a lot of those exact same Republicans, those Republican citizens, voters, um, were cheering Donald Trump in 2016 when he was saying some of those exact same things about the Iraq war that Michael Moore had said um, 12 years earlier. Um, you know, when it comes, as I said, to left mainstream issues, I tend to lean leftward. Um, now, I would like to think that if 9-11 had happened under a Democrat, which I don't think it would have because we needed people like Cheney and Rumsfeld to be in specific positions of power to pull certain levers and press certain buttons, perhaps both literally and, and uh, metaphorically. Um, but I would like to think that if 9-11 had happened under a Democrat, that I would still be where I am today on this issue. Um, and the reason I say that is because I got into an argument with somebody who, um, who thinks that I'm a bit too, who, you know, like I don't a hundred percent agree with the uh, black and white statement because the real world has so many shades of gray between black and white. And I don't necessarily agree with the black and white statement that, uh, that Democrats and Republicans are, are equally um, equally evil and corrupt. I mean, in a few ways they are, but not in, in, in a lot of other ways they're not. Um, but I had somebody tell me that they think that if Al Gore had been president when 9-11 happened, that I would be promoting popular mechanics in the 9-11 commission. <laughs> the way I see it, I just looked at it dispassionately. And when I did so, I realized that such a level of physical destruction, of total physical destruction, could not have been caused by uh, airplane crashes. Um, I don't want to spoil anything from the plot of the book. So without doing that, let me ask you, um, what role do you think partisanship plays in people being open-minded towards 9-11 truth? Well, you know, it sort of gets into the, one of the reasons I did the book uh, because somebody has the quote and I tried to find the original person. The internet is attributing it to Andrew Breitbart, but I don't believe that because I heard a guy from the left say this in some uh, documentary and the guy looked like he was from the seventies. So I don't know who said, but uh, it's uh, politics is the downstream of culture. So if you want to influence politics, you got to influence culture first because where do the politics come from? Where do the politicians come from? Now I'm quoting George Carlin, but they come from us. They come from American right. schools, American homes, American people. So that's where you start. Right. You change people. Um, and so I think right now with what's happened with politics is that, you know, when I was a kid, I mean, we had elections. I remember Bush Dukakis. I mean, people had a side. I remember that. This, this vicious about it. I mean, life went on the day afterwards. In fact, I even remember after Bush Gore 
my uh, Chinese teacher, you know, she's like, I wanted gore, but either way, sun still, sun still rises in the morning. Um, so, you know, this has developed in the last, you know, couple of years here. Um, I can actually remember people just kind of giggling at their cell phones most of the time when you brought up real world issues. And we went from that to what we see now. So I think that um, I think that the politics gives people permission. I think people need permission from the flickery blue box. And this is something that I tried to highlight in the book, too, is the power of the corporate media to influence people's minds, people's thoughts. Um, it's like the reason that and I noticed this and I'll use the I'll use this example. And even with myself, uh, if I go and see an Adam Sandler movie in the theaters, I will laugh my butt off because everybody else is in there. If I watch it by myself, I'm like, eh, that wasn't so funny. Um, so it's almost like when you're in a herd or when you're in a crowd, things seem funnier, things seem more acceptable, things seem more uh, palatable to you when you're when you have that kind of company than when you are uh, by yourself. But it can also be the reverse too. Like you can think something by yourself and then get into a crowd and people, you know, uh, kind of muscle you out or silence you because they don't want to hear it. So. I, I think the media has tremendous control over people's minds, and maybe I've, I've lost track of the original question here, but I think politics, look, if your political party is willing to say it, um, then it becomes acceptable for you to say it. I think that's the case with a lot of people in our society. I don't think it's everybody, and I don't think that people are mindless sheep. I think people are like what I was like before I woke up to 9-11. It was like sort of all that stuff was happening out there in the world, and you kept your eye on it in case it affected you. Uh, in some way, but really you just live in your own life, you know, especially if you're somebody that's living paycheck yeah. to paycheck and you got three kids at home, that's your main concern. That's your most important thing. And then all of this other stuff, I have plenty of friends who agree with me about this, but you'll never hear about them being in the 9-11 truth movement because they don't have time for this. They'll say, I, right. um, I agree with you, you know, but there's nothing I can do about it. Um, I can just raise yeah. my kids to be good people and, and that's the way it is. So, you know, I think, yeah, it's, if you make something more acceptable and being talked about out there, make it, quote, cooler, uh, more people will feel comfortable speaking up. That's our job out here, yeah. you know, at 1811 yeah. Truth and in the 911 Truth movement. And I think that those those little victories will ultimately yield a big victory. If you look at, like, take, take the downfall of Bill Cosby, for example. Uh, it took one person to say on live TV, he's a rapist. And boom, the dominoes started falling. And this was after decades of him having, you know, an iron lock on this and being able to use his power and celebrity to, to keep it, keep the lid on it. The, the lid eventually blew off and, and now he is, is disgraced. And so when we need the equivalent moment, and that's why it's, I think, such a tragic loss that, that we didn't have the... Uh, 20th anniversary special with Spike Lee because that could have been the equivalent of the Bill Cosby is a rapist moment. So hopefully that moment. Well, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I just want to say, because I just watched a documentary on this whole Bill Cosby thing and it's on Hulu. Um, I forgot the name of it already. It's something about we need to talk about Bill Cosby. It's a really good documentary on that subject. But I can remember when that first all started coming out, people I worked with, we were talking about it. I said, oh, how about that stuff that's uh, coming out about Bill Cosby? And my my friend, good guy, but he but he his immediate knee jerk reaction was, oh, that they're full of garbage. It's all made up. It can't be true. 
And I'm like, well, how do you know? I mean, you don't actually know the guy. He's not actually Heathcliff Huxtable. You know, he could be a completely different way behind the scenes for all you know. And that points to a problem that we have is that people, like, they, they, they just because something's on TV or somebody's portrayed a certain way on television, they think that that is the real deal. Um, yeah. And it's we all wanted, yeah. Yeah, we all wanted to believe that, you know, that he was like Cliff Huxtable in real life, too. Yeah, but you don't know what somebody is like in real life, and you don't actually know what's going on just because something is told to you on television. There's a lot of deeper things going on than the sound bites. So don't ever just assume that you know somebody based off of interviews or, you know, because you met him once or, or, or something. Um, there, there's a lot deeper things going on with human beings and with agendas. You know, what you see on TV is what somebody decided that you are allowed to see on television. And I'm not saying that everything is a conspiracy out there. Sometimes the story is just the story, and that's how it is. Um, but you always got a question, and it doesn't hurt to question. And, and as far as I knew and paid attention, before 9-11, nobody had any issue with questioning. You could say pretty much what you wanted. I mean, sometimes people would call into the radio and say the most craziest things. But we didn't get all jacked out of shape over it, you know. And you can see there's people out there now from both sides of it where uh, they, they want to say that, you know, because somebody believes some factoid that's different than you uh, about 9-11, uh, that you should have no association with them at all. Um, and I just don't think that is feasible. Now, if somebody believes something completely crazy, like the moon is made out of Swiss cheese or something like that, I mean, I think that's up for every person to determine on their own, but you're never going to get, you know, all these people on the same exact page because people do different research. The main goal is to get a new investigation so that we can get at the truth, so that we can have some legal power and subpoena power to find out exactly what happened. I would love to hear that story. I'd love to be watching C-SPAN and watch those hearings and, uh, and you know, read all the confessions and and affidavits and, and whatnot and see what that real story is. But we should all be united in that goal, in the in the in what we disagree with about the official story and get an action going so that we get that investigation so we can stop debating it and move on with our lives. You yeah. know? Um, so nobody knows everything that happened on that day. We have some pretty good evidence uh, that we can talk about. I think the case has been made completely for the fact that the buildings were brought down with controlled demolitions. Um, I mean, I can say that categorically, you know, but in terms of who specifically, what individuals participated in the operation, that still remains to be seen. Now, somebody, if I have a hypothesis about that personally, and somebody has a different hypothesis on that, am I going to get in a big screaming match with them on Facebook over it and, and never work yeah. with them again? That, yeah. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Anybody pushing that is not, working in the interest of 9-11 truth. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple questions about your book. Um, sure. Yeah. So um, other than the fact that you love graphic art and that you have a personal passion for the 9-11 truth cause, um, why did you create this book? Uh, what what role will this have in to, to spread the ripple effect of awareness? And what do you plan on doing to promote it? Well, right now we're doing this show. We're talking right now about we're doing the show. 
Right now we're doing this show. It's a step at a time here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see if I if I get on some other shows. Uh, we're talking about maybe doing another one next week as well. And, uh, you know, it's pretty much like uh, we're, we're uh, talking a lot about the book uh, during this week. Um, but why did I do it to begin with? Well, it goes back to the whole thing that I said about politics being the downstream of culture. And, you know, we've worked very hard to get a lot of great uh, documentaries out to people over the years. Uh, and we've had presentations. We've done everything that we possibly can. And then when it occurred to me I could do this, I asked myself, have I done everything that I can? Well, I hadn't yet. I hadn't done this. Um, so, you know, again, I things always start off, you think they're going to be simple, and they end up getting bigger and bigger. And I just have a hard time keeping myself contained uh, you know, if, especially if, if we're getting into fiction and stuff, because I'm like, oh, then this person, that person, pretty soon, like the script's like 400 pages. But uh, but I started off with it, um, and I was going to hire artists. I, but I could only afford uh, people who weren't charging a lot, and all I could find was a person out in the Philippines, I believe it is. And you know, he was a very talented guy when it came to superheroes and stuff, but it was just clear he didn't really understand a lot about 9/11. Uh, with the way things that were portrayed, you know, for instance, like the rubble coming down, it looked like meteors crashing into the ground, and that's not what it looked like. So it just was unfortunate he didn't understand. So he, he did about 20 pages. I paid him for that, and I'm like, I can't use this. And my friend told me, you know, you're the only person that uh, can can uh, do this because you understand it all. So I was like, okay, well, you know, it's going to take me a while, but I did it. And uh, basically, I just wanted to give something cool to the 9-11 Truth Movement and hopefully have something that would be could be used as an outreach tool to people that are entertained by entertainment, you know, who don't want to sit down and watch some uh, presentation by somebody, but they'd like to have, see a narrative story. So that was basically why I did it. And I, I like doing this kind of stuff. So I thought it would be and, cool. and how long And how long did it take you to uh, write the script and to do the artwork? Uh Good question on the script. I think it was like, it could have been like six months or something. Um, I didn't realize anybody was going to be asking me questions about it, so I didn't like note it. But I mean, something, you know, the script moved pretty fast. The art, I had to sort of teach myself how to do this again for a while. So I kind of was second guessing myself at various times. And finally, when I was just like, screw it, I'm going to just uh, go forward with what I know here. Um, once I did that, it didn't take as long. So there's a lesson in life. Don't second guess yourself, you know, just cause I kind of yeah. went back to what I originally started with. Um, don't second guess yourself. Don't, uh, worry about, you know, the critics or anything like that. Just do what you think is right with something and see where it goes. And once I sort of, uh, had decided that it kind of, you know, it didn't fly by like in a day or anything. I mean, it still took like a year, year and a half. And then there was some editing done, um, you know, people had to look at the uh, the uh, text in the bubbles, and unfortunately, there's no spell check program on my in my uh, comic software. So we really had to go through like it's 1960 or something, and try to make sure that everything uh, everything was set in that regard. Um, so that, so that took time as well. Was the artwork was the artwork digital or by hand? Oh, it was digital. It was digital okay. because, uh, okay. yeah, I have, I actually have a, a Wacom. It's pretty cool. It's up there in my living room, and uh, you can draw on it and all that kind of stuff. So that cost me that cost me some money, but now I have it. It's like a capital good, so I'm, I'm very happy. And I'll probably do other things like this uh, once we take a breath from this project. But uh, but yeah, we did it digitally, and um, 
I think that answers your question. Yeah. So, um, you know, actually when I was uh, doing my, when I was kind of doing a little bit of uh, preliminary work this morning uh, for this, for this uh, show, um, I wanted to try to see if I could find um, any other examples besides the three that I mentioned of where um, the mean, the mainstream media uh, treated us favorably. Uh, so I, I, I asked into my phone, I, or I said into my phone, examples of when mainstream media took 9-11 truth favorably, seriously. Um, as I was scrolling down my search results, I found a few um, Quora threads. And these threads were clearly, the titles of the questions were clearly made by anti-truthers to try to get out in front of like the University of Alaska study and, and trash it. Um, in fact, I think one of the threads had something like, said something like, why is, why is um, Leroy Halsey's um, computer model so ridiculous? And so I clicked on the link and to my pleasant surprise, I'm scrolling down and the first was by, you know, John Q, you know, public a structural engineer and i'm thinking uh-oh this structural engineer is gonna agree and say that it's stupid but no to my pleasant surprise a whole bunch of people uh with you know initials like pe after their name or you know structural engineer at such and such firm um agreed with the the 9-11 truth movement researchers and said to the original person asking the question this is clearly an ad hom and you clearly have an agenda. So these are really nice examples of some of those small victories you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so some just to finish off, I think I've pretty much mostly covered my notes here, but I got one more uh, thing to throw at you here. Um, you know, in 2006, when Loose Change went viral, uh, Dylan Avery spoke of a second American revolution occurring if 9-11 truth went mainstream. And of course, he was saying that well within, you know, the window of the Bush administration still being in power. Um, now it's 2022. Uh, Donald Rumsfeld is dead. And the rest of the people that we suspect of being behind 9-11 are quite likely going to die before being arrested for this crime and other war crimes. Um, what what will mass awareness of the controlled demolitions of the three buildings bring about? Uh, my view, before I let you answer, my view is that it's the Achilles heel of American empire. Uh, we expose this and it begins to bring down American empire. What do you think about that? I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, it's the definition of, of revolution. There's a great series of courses. If you go to Yale University's website, somewhere on there, you can actually audit courses for free, uh, watch them on video. It's just a fancy word of saying it, uh, or listen to them. I used to listen to them uh, with my old job in my MP3 player while I worked. And there's a great course. I forgot the lady's name, but she's a great professor. It's about the American Revolution. One of the things that she establishes in there is that people always think revolution, they think of the shooting and the war, right? But the actual term revolution is the change in thought. And then there's a war. Sometimes. Sometimes you can have a revolution without a war. So, you know, when you're talking about revolution, you know, get, get out of your minds. I'm saying this to the public, the idea, the, the thoughts of uh, 
people, shirtless people, throwing uh, Molotov cocktails through windows. Yeah, and I, I don't think that Dylan, you know, back when Dylan Avery yeah. talked about the second, I think he was talking more about an MLK-style revolution exactly. and not, not storming the Capitol, right? Exactly. So that's what we want to establish. And I think that the revolution is happening, but it's happening slowly. I do believe yeah. that we are influencing the public, which is why I keep on doing this. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to try to get somebody to do something they'd rather not do. Right. Um, you know, if I, if, uh, if I want to get my dog to, you know, stop chewing that thing or whatever, you've got to give them some kind of motivation to not do it. Right. Otherwise people just do what they're going to do anyway. So we have a system that doesn't want to acknowledge this, that just wants to go on business as usual move on with life and not deal with the fact that the official story is impossible, especially when it comes to the three towers that fell in New York on that day. So, you know, what do we do? And and one of the best things that I've learned in the last few years is there's nothing that I can do about the outer world. I can only, the only person that I have influence over is myself, right? So I can try to tell the truth on the show. I can try to bring on the guests to, to bring out their information um, I can try to do the work that I do here at AE, you know, uh, but I can't do anything if, if somebody's lying about me or if someone's lying about the evidence or lying about AE. The best they can do is just what I do, you know, and, and let the chips fall where they may. So when you take that attitude, first of all, uh, you're, you're not as, you know, you're, you're in a calmer mind as you're doing it. So you make less mistakes and people see that energy. They, they feel it. And, um, I think it works better for you. I think it works better for the cause in that way. So we have to adopt that attitude. And then as we start having those conversations, we start influencing the culture just by being ourselves, by talking about this unapologetically, um, you know, with confidence, because it is what happened. Uh, That will touch other people. And so, you know, what is the result going to be? You know, the end of American empire or this? I just want to see us be a better country. I want to see us be better people as a result. Everything starts with from within, and then it branches outward. So I think that, you know, once you wake up to this, you realize you didn't know as much as you thought you did in the beginning. It yeah. humbles people a little bit, not in a way that's humiliating. You know, and that's another thing to remember when you're debating with people. You don't have to make somebody wrong to be right. You don't have to embarrass them. Um but uh, basically, and I, th- I think it just sets them on a course for being a better person if they choose to be. And I think we'll just have a better country. You know, growing up, you go through school and you get this idea that American history is all these wars that we won and the, the flag being hoisted over foreign capitals and things like that. But, you know, no, American history is its culture. It's its music. It's its type of people. Uh, it's yeah. the, you know, the great things, the great works that we did, going out into outer space and all of this stuff. That's what I think of. And that's what I think we need to focus more on as a country. Just because we, you know, the truth, we've been lied to about 9-11 and we never got the full story. And they and there's some very bad people that did some very bad things. It doesn't mean the entire country is bad. So I try to focus on the positive. And I think. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I firmly do believe, I think that, um, I think that a majority of people in government and military are good human beings, even if they're trained to follow orders, I think, uh, not question things. I think that most people, you know, are good. And we we can see a lot of good examples. I mean, you know, Roland Angle was in the military. Uh, which part of the military? I forgot. Uh, I think it was a Green Beret. 
Green Beret, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and we, I can still remember the late uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bob Bowman, who flew like 101 combat missions over Vietnam. Uh, do you remember Lieutenant Colonel Shelton Lankford, who was uh, big into, the, he was a big figure on the scene with the Pentagon portion of 9-11? Not as familiar, no. Yeah, he was, um, he was another one. And he had a very, he had a very almost kind of bald eagle type face. I mean, he had an almost, he had an almost caricatural military face, you know, like a don't mess with me. You know, the kind of person, if you looked at his face, you would think that he's a wholehearted supporter of the official story, but no, he was, he was on our side. So really kind of goes to show, you know, the appearances aren't everything either. Um, I think that these days, uh, just a little final thought here, uh, is that I think that uh, I think that things were a lot easier for the truth movement in a lot of ways um, a decade plus ago. I think that with 9-11 fading into the rearview mirror more and more, people think that it's less and less important. And also, back in 2006 or 2010 or even 2014, the mainstream media was against us, but now we've also got big tech algorithms censoring us like right now if you put if you type into youtube north Ex north tower exploding by david chandler or or uh 9-11 explosive evidence experts speak out uh you've got to scroll down maybe more than a hundred search results mm. uh or you finally like right just the just a day or two ago for experts speak out uh, somebody else's unofficial upload with like 900 views or something did show up right at the top. But the official, the one on the official AE channel does not show up. And I kept scrolling and scrolling and still couldn't find it. So we have, we have that to contend with now. Uh, you type in WTC7 collapse. And of course, the very first uh, search result that comes up is... Um, the NIST video, and you're probably aware that now YouTube has hidden the dislikes. So um, it was like six, it's got 6,000 thumbs ups, but you wouldn't know it unless you had seen it before they hit the dislikes, but it's got something like 19 or 20,000 dislikes. And I think that examples like that are the real reason why YouTube hid the dislikes. They, they said that it yeah. was to they said that it was to protect the little guy from unfair attacks, but uh, I think that we can see through that. Um, well, deep down mentally, I think they are the little guy, even if they've got all the bells and whistles and the power of uh, you know big media behind them. The fact that they're getting their butts kicked so bad and the best they can do is censor is uh, a real sure sign that I think the momentum is on our side and it's always darkest before the dawn. I mean, that, that sounds cliche saying it, but it is the truth, you know? And so you just got to have confidence in yourself. You know, there was a movie called doubt and it has absolutely nothing to do with nine 11 truth, but um, there's a, a fable or a story or whatever the proper term is told about the guy who he's in a shipwreck. He's the only one that survives he's out on a piece of wood. And uh, he start, you know, he, so when he's, he's floating on this raft and he looks up at the stars and since he's got training and, and uh, astronomy, he's able to court a, or, or charter a course back to his homeland, wherever he's from. And uh, <clears throat> so he's floating on the raft going in that direction. And then as he's going, the clouds set in and it covers up all the stars. So he can never, he can no longer look up for that positive affirmation 
that he's on the right course. All he can just do is remember the course that he started on and go in that direction. And man, when I heard that, I thought, what a great, what a great uh, fable for 9-11 truth. I mean, that's going to happen in life. You know, you started on a path and then the clouds come in and cover the stars and, uh, you know, obscure things. But you know that the original direction you started on is the correct one. And so you just keep on in that same direction. And yeah, you know, that's what they're doing with the algorithms and the censorship and all the mainstream media attacks. And, uh, you know, people out there trying to, you know, create doubt about evidence and all of this stuff. That's what they do. But as long as you remember that core, you remember that you're on the right track and you remember that all we seek in the end is really just a new investigation and acknowledgement that there's problems with the official story from the government. Yeah. As long as you keep that in mind, you can sail right through all of that. Don't worry about the, the fact that things are obscured. So I am hopeful. I am hopeful. And the fact that they have to do this stuff to us means that we are having an effect. And yes. that's what I wanted to stress in this book, one of the things, and it's hard to talk about this book be, uh, because it's, uh, you know, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but, uh, but you can have an impact without even knowing it. You know, uh, I, I think I've done a few things here in 9-11 Truth, but somebody woke me up and I have no idea who it was. They snuck a video on some website uh, and made me watch it by accident. And, you know, it, it was the first step along this entire path that I've been on and, you know, there's been others that have woken up uh, even bigger people than me. And so you never know when you do something where it's going. Maybe maybe you're out there handing out brochures and it one blows off the top, goes into some alley somewhere. You consider it lost, right. but then somebody picks it up and it turns out to yeah. be a U.S. congressman or something. You know, you never know. Yeah. So I want to get that out there. And I know we're down to our last four minutes, so I just want to say you know, nobody does anything as an island here in the 9-11 Truth movement, and especially here at AE 9-11 Truth. Um, you know, I have uh, I had some detractor out there saying, you know, you'd be nothing without AE 9-11 Truth. And I say, that is absolutely correct. I have the best team here where, uh, that I'm working with, some of the greatest yeah, people. You I mean, the editors, you can, and it's just the people listed on the editor's page doesn't even encapsulate it. But, I mean, we have great editors like... Uh, Kelly David, who I consulted with as I wrote this, Craig McKee, uh, who I consulted with too and, and kept me grammatically correct. Uh, Susan Clay, another one on the same thing. Uh, Ted, who I talked to about uh, engineering concepts. I mean, these people, and you know, you have Jeff who did a great cover, Jeff Long. I mean, this is one of the best teams that I have ever worked with in any field. I mean, going back all the way to grammar school, this is one of the, the most talented, uh, dedicated, groups of people that uh, I've ever encountered. And uh, no, I couldn't do any of the stuff that I do without them. So I don't use the justice. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Heroin. Heroin with an E at the end. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to get that spelling wrong. No, she's a, she's the best Captain Kirk here. So uh yeah. Absolutely. So, Adam, we are. I'm looking at the timer here, so we are out of time. I, I hope we promoted the book well enough. What ends up happening is I end up getting it. We get off topic, um, but uh, we're going to talk about it some more next week. Well, we didn't want to. We didn't want to give any spoilers. So, <laughs> no, we don't. We don't want to give any spoilers. So, uh, that's the book, Born on 9/11. We have a sale going on this week, 
And uh, basically, you can get it for what is it, like 33% off. I'm not in charge of those things, but I think that's what, about what it is. But even if you see this after the sale's over, I think it's just an additional $5 on the price. So um, buy it. Buy a couple copies. Get it out there for, for uh, helping the AE911 Truth. All the proceeds go to AE and help us with our important work here and help us move forward. And, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about it. So thank you so much, and thank you for watching 9-11 Freefall today. And, Adam, thank you for coming on.